So welcome to the Earning the Push podcast, a show by wrestling fans for wrestling fans to talk about the two things we love the most, the state of the industry as it stands and what we would do if we were in charge. My name is Jack Murley. I am a professional broadcaster and alongside me each and every week is the Dudley Boys to my Jim and I, the Billy Graham to my Billy Gunn, the Young Bucks to my Mae Young. It's pro rugby player, all-round athlete and one of the nicest guys in the industry, Charlie Beckett. Hello. The Young Bucks to my Mae young just came to me just before yes. you connected i'm not sure that one completely makes sense it was either going to be may young or darren young now the darren young one would have made more sense for for many reasons but yes. i thought may, yeah. may young was way to go yeah yes. i'm good i'm good i'm um i'm, I'm glad it's cooler yes. i'm glad the surprises keep coming in wrestling because it has been yes. a busy week one thing we are not short on the moment is and it's talk about the wrestling industry is keeping us keeping us busy so let's remind you that you can get in touch however you would like with the podcast at charlie underscore beckett and at jack underscore murley ourselves on social media earning the push podcast at hotmail.com is where you can email more and more of you joining us each and every week which is brilliant the best advertising this podcast can get is word of mouth so if you enjoy what you're hearing tell a friend in person or on your socials subscribe rate and review Uh, we're going to be doing in part two fantasy booking of the Undertaker's streak ending. How have you found booking that, Charlie? Really quite stressful and emotional. It's a really tough week. And then we've decided that I'm going to do my next week. So I've got to drag it over two weeks. Yeah. I thought you'd do me a favour, but secretly you've dragged the torture over two weeks for me. Uh, I am happy with mine because we've got to the point, or I've got to the point, where by booking it the way I have, I'm okay with the streak ending. I've actually found peace with it. I found it quite therapeutic. I will never be okay. What I've decided to do is as okay as I can be with it. Okay. Well, look, we will delay that for you for next week. Mine coming up in part two, but let's talk about news and notes and everything going on in wrestling at the moment. Usually we start with what's actually happening. Today, we're starting with what may be happening. Strong, strong, strong speculation that both CM Punk and Daniel Bryan could be on their way to AEW. Obviously, we've heard rumours like this before, particularly around CM Punk, but the source for the story, particularly on Punk, Sean Ross Samp, and AEW's refusal to confirm or deny has fans in a tiz like we've not seen in years. Charlie, what would it mean if either of these rumours were true, let alone both? Well, the, the thing to start with is SRS doesn't often get it wrong, does he? Sean Ross Sapp, he's... He's up there as one of the one of the most trustworthy source when it comes to the credibility of what he reports. So it's probably the first time I've ever given any of these punk rumors any genuine, genuine thought this could be true. Because like I say, him and Fightful Select, they don't they if they don't if they're not ninety nine percent sure it's happening, they don't publish it. They're not there for the doesn't seem anyway that they're there for the clickbait sort of things just to get a few people on their website. They um Sean takes some real pride in making sure he's reporting the truthful stuff. So. Yeah, what would it mean if those two ended up there? I think names like that would genuinely start to be a shift in people watching AWWE because Punk coming back is the biggest draw you can get to get the hardcore and casual wrestling fans to watch your product. That is that is the one, isn't it? That is the one we never thought would happen, the one that we all thought would be stolen of so many glory years of him and the way he left and everything that happened, how he was mishandled by WWE. If I was WWE, these would be the first two that would worry because also Brian goes over there. Brian is arguably the most popular wrestler of this generation, maybe. Like mm. with the fans, you look at WrestleMania 30, 
Um, that's all you need to know on that. The yes movement is all you need to know there. I almost called it people power there, but that was John Laurinaitis. That was quite a different thing. <laughs> Imagine um, if they accidentally signed John Laurinaitis and he, he turns up backstage. You're not the guy we wanted. That would be, that would be a bad mistake, wouldn't it? Good ask of the worst signings in history. Uh, so, no, this is, these are the two that you take as much as I love Alistair Black, Malachi Black. You take him, you're going to get a few fans, but WWE won't be too worried. Braun Strowman ends up there when Mark Henry's gone. The big show, these people, there may be a little myth they get, they get a few people watching, but it's nothing, it's not going to keep Vince McMahon up at night, is it? Punk and Brian go, and something I think genuinely, I don't think it's a mistake, but say the whole landscape of professional wrestling changes, the whole thing changes. You've got two very different types of signing as well. In, in CM Punk, you've got the great white whale, the guy who's out there that everyone wants back. And people have tried and tried to lure him back, and he's the intangible. But in Daniel Bryan, you've got a man who, let's say the rumours are true, and he ends up debuting in AEW in September at their New York show. Well, just a few months earlier, he was main eventing WrestleMania. He wasn't just a guy. He wasn't just an underused guy. He was the guy for WWE. He was on that same tier as Roman Reigns and Edge. And if he has decided to move across, that is huge it is a huge loss for WWE as you say their WrestleMania main event uh, a man who they would absolutely want to keep the whole story of his retirement coming back like so many layers to it isn't it? and it's a huge loss for WWE if he goes I'd rather I'd rather go and play on the other side of the park I'd rather go and play with the other kids they're, they're more fun to play with like that that's a huge indictment to Vince and to the whole company of Hang on, why is one of our... And he's not a homegrown because he was an indie star a long, long time before WWE. But one of our guys who has reached the absolute pinnacle, has reached his fame, met his wife, has huge... The biggest moments of his life have been at our company. Then he couldn't wrestle for so long and was just so happy to be back. Why does he not want to do it with us anymore? What's, what's going on there? The one thing that I think lends its credence, apart from the fact, as you say, Sean Ross Sapp is a very respected journalist. He's not someone who, who posts rumour and speculation. The one thing that makes me think there might well be something to this is that AEW hasn't done anything to dampen these rumours down. And we saw heading into Revolution when they promised a industry-changing star, and with all respect, it was Christian Cage, and many people were disappointed with that. You would have think they'd have learned to dampen down rumours if they weren't true, they haven't done that here. The Bucks are playing into it on social media. The, the, just if, if I was a betting man, all the money in my pockets, gun to my head, are they going or are they not? I feel like it's yes. I just feel like it's yes. Yeah, it does just seem to be just too many things for this one not to be true, doesn't it? I know, I know Punk loves the tease, but obviously he's playing the Chicago Bulls entrance music on his Instagram stories and the rooms that he's coming out in Chicago. So oh, could you imagine? Sorry, let's just play the game. Could you imagine that Chicago crowd if Cult of Personality hit? I think if you book Chicago and your AEW at the moment, you're making a rod for your own back if you don't have Punk side. Yeah, because on the flip side, can you imagine if it gets to the main event and they're like, thank you very much, Chicago, and CM Punk exactly. ha hasn't come out. We've seen it with WWE with multiple Royal Rumbles when, when Daniel Bryan didn't appear, and poor old Rey Mysterio got the shellacking of a lifetime. Oh, Ray. That was horrible. I know, but AEW will not want to create that. Um, There's an argument I've seen made in a couple of places. I'll throw this out, see if you make anything of it. Does it define down the legacies of Punk and Brian 
to continue their careers in AEW. And if Define Down is too strong, there are some people who say we love them, but we love them in WWE. If you're going to have Punk return, you need WWE's production values and you need their um, promotional machine. And the same for Brian. Do, do you put anything in that? I'm going to answer it separately for the two of them. Yeah. I think for Daniel Bryan, absolutely not. I think Daniel Bryan, uh, his legacy of what he does in the wrestling is solidified. As long as he doesn't go out there and start having one-star matches, he's fine. Do you know what I mean? Daniel Bryan could end up down at the, the Gloucester local fair that I've seen some wrestling at this weekend. And he could put on a five-star match. It would it would add his legs because that's the kind of guy he is. I think it's not like they're going to a little indie organization with no money. AEW are real players here. Like, let's not mess about. Like, so they've got the production value. You've seen people go across and have successful runs, likes of Jericho, the likes of Moxley. So it's not unheard of for someone to go from WWE to AEW. I don't see it going from the big leagues to the minor leagues. I just see it going to a different big league. Punk's a different one because I think wherever Punk comes back. He's got work to do because as good as he was, and God, he was good. We haven't seen him for, what, eight, nine years now, how many years it is? Yeah, it was 2013, start of 2014, he walked away. Seven, eight years we haven't seen him for now. Wrestling is different now. It's a different generation, and Punk was brilliant in the ring, and on the mic, no one can touch him. But it's a long time. You stop doing something like anything for seven, eight years and try and come back to it at the highest level, you are going to struggle. It's not going to be easy. So... Also, there'll be a lot of fans who won't know who CM Punk is. They won't really remember that. If you're a, say you're 15 years old now, let's say you're 15, watching wrestling, which a lot of people will be, do you really remember what CM Punk was like when you were seven or eight? And did, did, when you were seven or eight, did you really get the best of him? Or was it his best when you were five years old? You've got no idea what was going on there. So there'll be a lot of new fans for him to win over. And he's got a job to do on the fact that it's, he's been a long time out. His ring rust will be huge. And... Everyone will be expecting five-star matches, five-star promos from him off the bat. That is the first thing everyone will be expecting. Like you said about the White Whale, has there ever been higher expectations for a return in the history of wrestling? You're almost set up to fail immediately. It's a really interesting point because I can remember in 2002 when Shawn Michaels came back at SummerSlam and I was fairly young in my wrestling fandom and I didn't know who Shawn Michaels was really until I started educating myself and his one performance at SummerSlam made me a Shawn Michaels fan for life. It was so different. It was so new. I wanted was it, to see Was it, it not the tight jeans and cowboy boots at SummerSlam 2002 that won you over? It, 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 I've said this a few times. It is my idea of the perfect match because I had yes. no idea who this guy was, but I'd, I'd seen and fair play to WWE. They built him up and they'd done all the groundwork and he came back and I was just blown away. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see where this goes. I think it's happening. Personally, I mm. think it's happening. One thing that is definitely happening in WWE is Roman Reigns doing the best work of his career. Paul Heyman continuing at this Everest-like altitude of greatness that only he has seemingly reached, and John Cena playing his part as well. But a tease on SmackDown this week, I suspect no more than a tease, that we may just have to wait for Roman versus Cena because Finn Balor would like a piece of the action. I like that they've not just gone straight away, here's what you're getting. I love that for once, I know where we're going. The whole world knows where we're going. I thought I knew how we were getting there, but now I don't. I quite like that. I really quite like that. Are we going to get a Cena versus Balor before it somehow? Like, what? Where are we going here? And you know what? They've thrown Finn Balor straight back into where he should be in the main roster, which is the main event. No mess about getting back in there. 
Now, he's not going to take the title off Roman. No one should ever. But he is back where he belongs. Because I was thinking about this the other day. And there is an alternate universe with a variant of Finn Balor somewhere where he doesn't get injured at SummerSlam when he beats Seth Rollins for the first ever uh, universal title. And he is the man. Finn Balor is the face of WWE because that, that injury was just the most brutal of timing. The most brutal. He reached the mountaintop, got flicked straight off, didn't he? With an injury. And he never really recovered from that on the main roster. And they put him back down to NXT, rebuilt him. And yeah, he's straight back where he deserves to be, Finn. So um, I love seeing that. And like I say, I love not knowing where, how we're getting there. We are getting Cena versus Reigns, the main event of SummerSlam. I have no doubt about that. How are we getting it? No idea. Brilliant. But oh my God, the promos this week. Start with Cena on Raw, where he just comes out and gives all the reasons he could be back, which are all great reasons. And then just calls out Roman with the main reason he is. Excellent, excellent, excellent. I loved it. Then comes out at the top of the show on a SmackDown and Paul Heyman, if anyone else decided they were going to sing John Cena's theme music, it would be corny, it would be cheap, it would be a bit cringeworthy. Paul Heyman does it and it might be the best thing I've seen in wrestling. It's just amazing. I love the whole, the whole thing of Roman will come and give you his answer when he's ready. Because of course he will. Of course Roman will come when he's ready. And then when he just comes out and just goes at Cena, he's like, same promo, same man, same outfit, same this, same that. And when he's like, my answer is no, I was like, oh, oh, he said no. Oh, didn't see that coming. Okay. And then Finn, yeah, everything. I just, I just loved it all. It was just you, because I didn't get to watch it till Sunday because I had a busy weekend. And you text me on Saturday being like, how good was last night? I was like, I haven't seen you. Like, oh, you're in for a treat. And I really, really was. I just look at Roman Reigns and that promo. I mean, firstly, I will say it. The man is a sexy son of a gun. You look at him there and you think... That white t-shirt does a lot for him. Not having a t-shirt on does a lot for him. Let's be honest. And why did WWE cover him up in a stab vest for six years, seven years? So he's there oozing sex appeal and then that promo it's loose it's funny it's passionate he's still a heel with it he's still not getting cheers but you can see him ad-libbing and i think wwe have possibly cut it out of the youtube um edit when he's going it's like missionary position every night it doesn't inspire me it's the first time i've looked at him and i've seen if the rock came back if Yeah, you could go toe-to-toe with him. I want to see that. This version of Roman Reigns versus The Rock, yes. Have you seen um, Jericho's comments this week, an interview about him, about Roman, where he just says, I saw it last night before I went to bed. I think it was um, Alex McCarthy had uh, tweeted it. Jericho was just said, and said things before, he said, Roman's like, and these were Jericho's genuine words, the coolest cat about. Like, the man is funny, he is witty, he is cool. He just is naturally horribly cool. Like, he was like, I don't know if it's an old interview. Oh, no, it was, it was like the moment they let him go properly as him, they will have money. They're like, you see it now. This is him starting to be bits of him. He said, it can't be completely him because he's actually a lovely guy, really. So when they want to have him in his face, they've got money. But in this heel persona, you're finally seeing them let Roman Reigns be Roman Reigns. And that's what's happening. I think it's so true. We saw anytime when he was being pushed to the next scene, anytime you saw any backstage footage of Roman, that was when he was at his most likable. That was when you're like, okay, you're so I can get behind. But when he's out there saying Sukkotin, Sukkotash, or whatever he was saying, you're like, oh, Jesus Christ. God, I hate you. Finally, they seem to be getting it right. I look at him and I just, 
was racking my brains the other day. Has there ever been a greater evolution of a character? I don't mean 180. I don't mean when you're taken off off air and repackaged, uh, Isaac Yankum to Kane sort of deal. But has there ever been a point where someone is just let off the leash and has transformed so much? And I was thinking, well, there's an argument that Steve Austin, when he gave that Austin 316 promo, started a similar journey. But it's not like Roman Reigns has come back with a new name and short hair and he's wearing trunks. He's the same guy, but just himself. And it is extraordinary that if we were doing this podcast a year ago, Roman wasn't part of the scene and we wouldn't have wanted him back in his current guys. We would not have been eulogizing Roman Reigns. That's the mad thing. Like Roman obviously decided not to come back when COVID was just starting for the most obvious and understandable reasons. The man's had leukemia. He had to look after himself. Not for a second did I think, oh, they're going to struggle without Roman Reigns when that happened. Not for a second. Imagine if you pulled Roman Reigns for three months now. Imagine what that company would look like. I don't know who to give the credit to at WWE. I don't know who deserves the pat on the back. But someone went, we've got a real opportunity here. Roman's going to be gone for this long. We can repackage him. And the best thing they did was they brought him out with Paul Heyman straight away. He went, oh, this is a different Roman Reigns if he's aligning with Paul Heyman. And then very quickly, it developed into this tribal chief character. And you're like, of course I can get behind this. It just makes all this. The way he won the title was just so heelish straight away. And like, okay, this makes sense. But yeah, to whoever, Joe Bloggs at WWE, whoever had the idea, a firm shake of the, well, no, it's COVID, a firm fist bump to you, sir. Or you, I, madam, whoever it was, because yep. absolutely unbelievable. Do you know the infuriating thing is that ultimately this has to be signed off by the chairman of the board, by Vince McMahon. And the thing that infuriates us each and every week is how you can have Vince sign off something as great as Roman Reigns and then get away with some of the other nonsense in WWE. For example, Keith Lee losing to Karrion Cross on Monday Night Raw. We will come to that. I'll, I'll let you let you have your say on that in a bit as you shake your head. Um, I'll remind folk that after the break, we will be booking... The end of The Undertaker's streak. I'll be doing mine this week. Charlie's will come next week. We'll do some of your bits and bobs as well. Some thoughts on the money in the bank. Fantasy booking from last week coming as well. Charlie underscore Beckett. Jack underscore Murley. Earning the Push podcast at hotmail.com. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. And tell a mate about us. More and more of you listening each and every week, which is brilliant. We were concerned last week about AEW and the prospect of a Texas death match between Lance Archer and John Moxley. It did not disappoint if that is your kind of thing. If you wince and don't like the sight of blood and people putting their bodies through hell, it was not the match for you because those guys left everything in the ring, around the ring, extraordinary. I said last week I don't like them, and I still don't, but I can't not watch them. It's a weird, fascinating thing, isn't it? And also I feel like these guys are going to put themselves through this for my, my entertainment the least I can do is watch them. Do you know what I mean? And uh, it was, I didn't see Moxie losing, first of all. Didn't think he'd lose. I really struggled to say a good match because they're not wrestling matches. They're a completely different uh, form of entertainment. And like I say, so I, the Wembley was, I don't like horror films. I do not like them. But I can appreciate when a good horror film is made, I think. And that's my kind of relationship with death matches. I don't particularly love them. I'm not going to go out of my way to watch them, but I can appreciate it was a good one. It was a good one we saw at last week's Dynamite, last Wednesday. 
one thing I will say that whenever someone brings barbed wire out, I'm like, well, why are you doing that? Because that's only going to end one way, isn't it? And then that, well, first of all, it looked like he was, it looked like Moxie was going to go for the paradigm shift onto the barbed wire. And I was like, well, John, that's only going to end worse for you, first yes. of all. I don't understand that move. There are lots of moves you can do where you stay standing and he goes through. And obviously he got, I think it was powerbombed through it or pushed through it. And then that, that graphic at the end, there's an angle they put on um, on the YouTube highlights. I watched it again there. Where he's just trying to pull himself off and you just see his skin come back. I was like, oh, God, that's horrible. I was like, oh, God, tip of the hat to those men because what I wouldn't do that. It was a suplex onto the chairs angle oh, upwards. Oh, oh. You, you've got a chair. You've got it. You've got to fall on your chair somewhere. Don't do it that way. Lay it flat. We, John, we love you. You've got a kid on the way. We appreciate everything you've done. I don't need to see you bend your spine backwards over the edge of a propped up chair. Well, he shaved his head though, wasn't he? Well, now here's the thing. Am I wrong, or did you get the sense that maybe a Moxley heel turn was coming? He's looking quite heelish, isn't he? Like shaved head, big beard. Now I know I'm talking about myself here, but and you can be a nice guy with it. But he does, and he he's never been your, especially he's gone to AW, he's never been your clean cut baby face, has he? That is not when they tried to make Dean Ambrose that, that was not what he is. And maybe, maybe John Moxley's just starting to get disenfranchised, or maybe he doesn't want to be the guy that crouches, or maybe he doesn't want to pander to them anymore. And I think. He's far from stale. John Moxley's not stale, but I do think a little bit of a reinvention of him would be interesting. And you want to get him booed? You know what he does. He beats the living crap out of Eddie Kingston, doesn't he? Oh, interesting. See, I, I watched him come out and I thought, he's not playing to the crowd as much. He's not being as John Moxley Stone Cold-esque. And part of me thought, well, he's in Texas. It's Lance Archer's hometown. That may just be him trying to help elevate Archer. And then I was thinking down the road and I was thinking, OK, if you're bringing in Brian and you're bringing in Punk, you've got two big baby faces at the top of your roster. If you've got Adam Page, you've got another big baby face at the top of your roster. Then you've got Darby Allen. Then you've got Y2J. It's looking a little uneven on the scales there. It wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. No, I could absolutely see it. And this John Moxley versus face Daniel Bryan, would love to see it. Because also, sorry, back to what I spoke about earlier, you bring Punk back, he's going to get cheered, but Punk's never been your stereotypical babyface. He's not going to... Do, does he come in and go straight to heel? Does he start... I could see him coming in and not playing to the crowd at all, not pandering, going right at the crowd. Do you know what I mean? That, these sorts of things, I could see that, so I don't know. Also, talking of uncomfortable matches to watch, who turned up, who turned up this week on Dynamite? It's like they're going, we're going to torture Charlie and make him watch things that he doesn't want. Because now Nick Gage is here. Of anyone who doesn't know, because you might not, there's a man who does death matches. I, I am uncomfortable. God, I hope he doesn't hear this. But I am, because he'll come to, he will come to your door. I'm yes. certain of it. But yes. I am uncomfortable watching Nick Gage matches. What I do love is that you don't know what's going to happen on Dynamite. Here's Chavo Guerrero popping up and here's a yes. death match and here's Nick Gage. And it just is surprise, surprise, surprise. I, I, I can't fault them, but I am going to be watching Nick Gage, Chris Jericho as the pain maker from behind a pillar next week. I don't know if I can do it. You said it the other week. I think it might have some credence. Dynamite is a brilliant show. 
and it is not same or anything. Do they rely a bit much on gimmick matches? Yeah, I, I would say so. I would say that if you watch an AEW event, you have a strong opening and you have a really strong close. And then it's a bit of a mixed bag in between. And I don't mean that in an offensive way, but if you're watching a WWE show, they will tell you the story they are threading through that show. On SmackDown, you know the story is will Roman answer John Cena's challenge? For me, I like that storytelling. I want a thread running through the show. For AEW, I think there is a danger. They burn through too many gimmick matches. We've had coffin matches, death matches, no rules matches, blood and guts matches, stadium stampede matches. However, they do build them up in advance. That's the only thing I can say. You know you'll be getting a certain match two or three weeks in advance, a tag match between FTR and Proud and Powerful, for example. Do you think they rely on those gimmick matches to fill them into their show because they maybe don't have a mid-card per se? If I was critiquing AEW, and Lord knows they're doing fine without me, but if I was critiquing AEW, I would follow the old Eric Bischoff model of what's my A story, what's my B story, what's my C story, what's my D story. And I think AEW tries too much to get too much talent on the show. So mm. you, you, And sometimes you'll have a show and you'll turn on Dynamite and you'll go, oh, okay, it's this person's time this week. With the greatest of respect to QT Marshall, I'm not watching his matches. I'm not going to be tuning in. Now, it's a bit of a buffet. People might like that, that you can mm. pick and choose. But if I was looking to grow AEW's audience, I would want just a little bit more consistent storytelling at the levels below the main event. Yeah, I entirely agree. Do you want to have a quick pop before we take a break and get on to our fantasy booking at Keith Lee? Why is he tapping out? Why is Keith Lee tapping out? Oh, come on, Vince. You just, mm, I don't... What's Keith done wrong? Because... That man was the most over man in NXT. It probably maybe in the history of NXT, the only double champ at the same time. And then he went up to the main roster and they were like, well, here's some new music that's not very good. And you're not our stereotypical fit-looking man. You haven't got a rippling six-pack, so here's a shirt. But also, so what I don't understand, okay? Get it off your chest, oh, man. My God. Come on. If Keith Lee was a big fat man, okay? I'm talking like viscera sort of thing, okay? Where's rolls, okay? You put him in a big baggy shirt and you can't see it. Job done. Keith Lee has a very strange body type where he's clearly very fit, but he Keith is what I describe as a barrel. He's a barrel. He's barrel chested. He gets physical. He's never going to have a flat stomach. He's always got that rounded stomach. He's a barrel. That's fine. Keith Lee's an incredibly fit man. You see a lot of him in rugby. Guys, you look at them and then you're like, with their top off, like, how can you do what you do looking like that? And some people's body types are just that way. Walter. Exactly. But Walter's even more, a bit, he's a bit, this sounds horrible, if Walter, if you're listening, please don't chop me. He's a little wobblier than Keith. Keith is, like, if you slap Keith in his stomach, it doesn't wobble, does it? It's just a barrel. And they put him in a really tight T-shirt that doesn't hide the fact that it's a barrel. Like, all it's doing is showing that there's a barrel under there. Like, just let him wrestle with his top off. It's clearly how he's happy. And then don't book him to tap out. Oh, you've got a bona fide star there that wrestling fans want to get behind. We want to cheer Keith Lee. We want to see him in the title scene. We want these things. I want to see Bobby Lashley versus Keith Lee. That's a match I actively want to see. How good would that match be? Two yeah, but... huge men battering each other. But he's but... not going to get there when he's going to be 
tapping out to Ivan Kozlov soon. Well, well, that would be great. I'd love a Kozlov return, firstly. I think that would be fantastic. I think this comes into the what WWE powers that be see NXT as. We love NXT. We'd love to see Keith Lee against Bobby Lashley. Yeah. As far as Vince McMahon is concerned, according to everyone who's worked with him, if he's not created it or if it's not on his radar, other people don't know it. So to Vince, Keith Lee is that guy he got quite high on and then that guy who went away and now he's back. He's just another guy. To Vince McMahon, Keith Lee isn't the Keith Lee we know, I would think. How does Triple H do it? How does he go round for Thanksgiving dinner with the in-laws and sit there and look across the table and go, <laughs> everything I've created in NXT. Yeah, yes, Vince, you gave me my chance to make it, but since then, Everything I've created, this this new brand for your company I've created, and you just don't care. How does he do it? I think the first time he probably thought that is when he put together that storyline for the best part of two years of DIY splitting up, and then they turn up on SmackDown or Raw as a tag team as if as if none of it ever happened. It is troubling. Okay, because it was just oh god, that now I'm angry about that. Well, if you're angry about that, uh, in a moment or two, we are going to get on to fantasy booking the Undertaker's undefeated streak at WrestleMania, how we would have ended it. Why do you hate me? I just am the puppet master. If Jericho's a pain maker, I pull the strings. Why this morning have you woken up and gone, I'm going to make this a really bad day for Charlie? 27th of July is going to be a really bad day for Charlie. What you need to do is, given your setting our next fantasy booking scenario, you need to make it, how would you have humiliated JR? Because that's how strongly I feel. How would you book the downfall of AEW? Like WCW in the 90s. How would you do it? Something like that. Before we get on to The Undertaker, just a couple of bits and bobs from yourselves about the fancy money in the bank booking. A lot of love last week for your Eddie Guerrero suggestion and some really interesting comments coming in. Ryan said, as much as I'd have loved to have seen Eddie Guerrero as Mr. Money in the Bank, I think I'd have preferred to see him have that match that was mooted against Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 22 before sadly we lost Eddie too soon. Um, We heard from Sam and from uh, James as well. This is James Stress O'Leary, who's a very, very good wrestling commentator. They suggested the idea of Eddie as the champion trying to evade mm. the cash-in. Now, wouldn't that have been something? Yeah, that didn't even cross my mind when I was booking. No. I saw that from James, replied to your tweet about it, and I was like, oh, imagine imagine Eddie running away, and then imagine trying to cheat when the final cash-in did happen. And then, Because that's what confused me in wrestling, and I'm sure Eddie would do it. As soon as, as, soon as that match starts and they cash-in, and you're beat, beaten and bloodied after an hour-long elimination chamber, why are you not just getting DQ'd? Why are you not? Why are you not just getting counted out? And I could see Eddie just rolling up the ring and walking off and stuff like that, and then him having to rebook it and that sort of. And there's there'd just be so much for him. Yeah, six months of Eddie Guerrero running away anytime he saw the man with the money in the bank. Yes, yes. Oh, that made me smile. Really, I had a good half hour imagining that and the things he could go up to after he saw that tweet. We'll keep those happy memories in place because we're heading to a break. And when we are back, fantasy booking the end of The Undertaker's undefeated streak. It's coming up next on Earning the Push. (laughs) 
All right, we are back. Uh, remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. If you enjoy this wrestling show, and we hope you do, more and more people getting involved each and every week. I wonder how many will stay with us after we break their hearts again and end The Undertaker's undefeated streak. For those who are new to the show, The Undertaker is Charlie's all-time favorite, and he has never watched the moment the hand comes down. Oh, you have? So, I was waiting to tell you this on the show. I watched it this week. It's part of my research. Really? Yes, I did. That's why it's been a very emotional week. I psyched myself up for it. I put it on the big telly in my lounge. And I watched it. My better half walked in as I was shouting. She's like, what are you doing? And I was like, get out. And after she's like, and she's like, so I didn't know there was live wrestling. I'm just like, I didn't know there was take Undertaker. Because she, she'll, she'll recognise Undertaker now. Yeah. And Brock Lesnar, actually. She's like, why is Undertaker wrestling Brock Lesnar? And I was like, I watched the end of the streak. And even she understood what that meant to me. She was like, oh, are you okay? I was like, no. So, disclaimer, I haven't and will never watch a full match. Because everything you read is that because of the concussion, it becomes a really bad match. And I don't want to see that. I don't want to. So I watched the last minute. Oh, come on. You gave that the big build. And what you're saying is you only watch 60 seconds of it. Yes. And that was more than enough, Jack. (laughs) Um, I watched the moment it ended. And it was horrible. I didn't like it. But what I will say is I can see what a moment it was. And I needed to see it. And Paul Heyman does some of his best work, doesn't he? Because that's the amazing thing with it is, and he's played into this since, you genuinely at that point think it's a mistake, don't you? You genuinely think that's wrong. And I read a report, I was reading a report, um, that refs don't know the result in some matches. And in this one, he didn't know it was going to be so for a horrible few minutes, that ref in the middle is going to think he's ended the streak when he shouldn't. Because of the concussion, there were so many things went wrong, wasn't there, in that match? So um, just a moment for him. But yeah, I, I, I watched the moment this week. I did. And I need to say before I book next week, if this was a different question, if this was how would you have ended the Undertaker's career? Not the streak, because I, I, I've gone on record, I'll go on for about, I wouldn't have ended the streak. I just wouldn't have done it. I'm going to tell you how I would have had to next week, but I wouldn't have done it. For me, how I would have ended his career is dead easy. At WrestleMania 28, when him, Michaels, and Triple H at the top, all arm in arm, you wouldn't have seen him in a ring ever again for me. Yeah. In hindsight now, I can look back and say that. I I actually agree with that. I have to say, I I think there was that spurt of great Undertaker matches after WrestleMania 31, when he came back and feuded with Lesnar again, and he had a great Hell in a Cell match. But was it worth it? Yeah. I think the only things you miss out on are a good match at 29 with Punk, you miss out on those Hell in a Cell, Hell in a Cell and SummerSlam match with Lesnar and you miss out on the, uh, the Boneyard match. They're the only good things you miss out on. I don't think that's worth it for some of the horrible stuff we had to watch for a little bit, if we're being honest. Yeah. OK, well, this is interesting because it plays into what I'm saying. Charlie's coming next week. Mine is now. We'd love yours. Jack underscore Murley, Charlie underscore Beckett, earning the push podcast at hotmail.com. If you had to, there's no jibbing out of this. If you had to, how would you have ended the Undertaker's undefeated streak at WrestleMania. So here's my thinking, and I've, I've tried to be quite logical with this. I'm looking at who's on the roster at the time. If it's not Brock, who is it? You don't want to lose that Daniel Bryan moment at WrestleMania, so it can't be him or any of the people involved there, which means it can't be Triple H, Orton, or Batista. No one in the Shield was ready, and I don't want to give it to John Cena. So what are my options? Well, I'm going to give it to the man who walked out of WWE before WrestleMania 
due to the lack of a main event match and a feeling that he wasn't going anywhere in the company. So my man who's going to beat The Undertaker is probably the wrestler of today's show, CM Punk. Now, we have a built-in storyline between Punk and Undertaker because Punk narrowly lost to him at WrestleMania 29. And it does mean Undertaker will have faced the same opponent at back-to-back WrestleManias three three years in a row or six years in a row, but that's fine. We can do that. And how are we going to get there? So for me, Punk takes a summer off and he returns with his mantra, I'm the best in the world. And I'm going to prove I'm the best in the world by doing everything I haven't already done and everything they said couldn't be done. And we don't really know if Punk is a babyface or a heel. All that matters is he's that edgy, confident guy who does what he wants and says what he wants, and he cuts promos on whoever he wants. He beats all the top names. He is the guy, still has that acrimonious relationship with Vince McMahon, but he keeps saying, I will prove to you that I can do everything I haven't already done and everything they said couldn't be done. And the one thing that CM Punk wants to do more than anything else is win the Royal Rumble because it will give him a chance to get what he wants. So he enters a Rumble. We don't really care where. We don't really care who he eliminates. What matters is that CM Punk wins the Royal Rumble. And so the next night on Raw, everyone's talking about Punk finally getting the chance to do what he hasn't been able to do before. Main event WrestleMania for the World Championship. And Punk comes out on Raw and we get his decision and he says, winning the Rumble gets me the chance to get what I want, a main event of WrestleMania. And that's what I need. And yes, the title is prestigious. It's the greatest thing in our sport apart from the streak. So I'm cashing in my Royal Rumble win, not for a title, but for something even greater. Undertaker, I want to take your streak from you at WrestleMania. And that's how we go off the air on that Raw. And I'm not going to book week to week to week getting us to WrestleMania, but I'm going to give you the essence and the general vibe. And the vibe is that Punk isn't like Triple H. He's not like Shawn Michaels. He's not consumed. It's not eating him alive. He's just supremely confident. And he knows that time is running out for The Undertaker. And he cuts promos saying, each win over the previous years, Undertaker, they took something out of you. You're not the man you once were. I'm going to take you down. And how can you doubt me, given everything I've done to this point? And what's more, the announcers are behind Punk. Because one thing I think was a problem with the streak ending the way it did was that we were still building Undertaker up as this great invincible guy when his performances in the ring were showing he wasn't that anymore. And I want to soften the audience up to the possibility the streak is going to end by humanizing The Undertaker. So what we're going to start getting is Undertaker promos, like the ones we had going towards a Boneyard match, where he talks more like a human. He's 50% dead man, 50% badass. That's the most compelling version of him. And we're going to present Undertaker as an old gunslinger who's ruled the yard for the best part of 25 years, but who's admitting he knows his time is coming. And he knows that when outlaws like him have built the streak they have, they don't get to walk off into the sunshine. They know someone is going to take them down. They know that one day the bullet is going to connect and they're just waiting on when. Do you remember the promo William Regal cut before his match with Cesaro in NXT? Yes, I do. Absolutely. When he says, and I know an old rogue like me has run out of luck, something like that. That's the mood we're going for with The Undertaker. Undertaker saying, I know one day my time is going to come. But the question for you, Punk, is whether you're sure you're the man to do it. 
because Shawn Michaels was sure, Triple H was sure, Edge was sure, Orton was sure, Kane was sure. And I know someday someone is going to have my number. But the question for you, Punk, is whether me, the Undertaker, this old gunslinger, has one more bullet left in the chamber at WrestleMania. And so we get to WrestleMania and we have a back and forth match to start off with. And I don't want Undertaker to be squashed, but what I want to start telling the story of is that Punk has Taker's number. So maybe Punk will uh, knock him off the ropes when he goes for old school, or maybe he'll dodge the leg drop, or maybe Taker will go for one of those dives to the outside and Punk will roll under the ring apron. Everything that Undertaker does that usually works isn't working. And the announcers know it and Taker knows it. And Taker gets a chance when Punk makes a mistake. Let's say he hits his head on a turnbuckle, misses a big dive, and suddenly Taker rallies with a flurry of classic offense. So we get a last ride and Punk kicks out. And then we get a choke slam and Punk kicks out. And with each kick out, Punk has this sort of look of dazed pride on his face because he knows he's taking the Undertaker's best and surviving. And we just begin to see on Taker's face the realization that maybe he can't beat Punk. And Taker scoops up Punk for the tombstone, hits it, and Punk kicks out. And they're both lying there. And as they get to their feet slowly, Punk is laughing to himself because he knows he's got Taker's number. And Taker begins to nod because he's just beginning to realize it may be over. Punk has taken his best and Take has nothing left. So they're both standing there. Taker motions for Punk to bring it on and they start slugging it out one more time. And Taker does that great rally where he knocks Punk down. But then Punk connects with a kick and down goes The Undertaker. He staggers and drops. And Punk scoops Taker up for a GTS, holds him there, hits a GTS, and Taker kicks out. But Taker is woozy. Taker is on his last legs. And so Punk scoops him up for a GTS and Taker gets tangled in the ropes and falls out of it. And then Punk slides him up again and Taker gets out of it. But the story we're telling here is that Punk knows he's just got to hit one more shot and Taker's sliding, slipping, getting away. And then Taker comes off the back of the GTS and slams his hand around Punk's throat for a choke slam. And Punk whacks him with an elbow and Taker falls forward onto Punk's chest. His hand's still holding his throat for the choke slam, but Taker is being held up by Punk and Punk alone. And Punk hits him again and again and again with an elbow, and it's knocking Taker down till eventually Taker is on his knees, but his hand is up round the throat of Punk. And Punk very slowly takes the hand of Undertaker and slowly removes it from his throat and puts it down by Undertaker's side. And then Punk puts his hand on Undertaker's shoulder and simply says, thank you, but it's over. And Taker's knelt there, takes a deep breath, nods his head and braces himself. And CM Punk takes a deep breath, looks at the crowd and spins round and knocks Taker out cold with a kick. It's like an execution. And Taker drops forward and he's propped up on the bottom rope. Very gingerly, very delicately, almost respectfully, Punk picks up The Undertaker, looks into the hard camera, gets him on his shoulders for the GTS, takes one, two, three deep breaths, hits it, and pins The Undertaker. And with that, the streak is over. And that is how I would have booked the end of the streak. I'm never going to like it because it's the end of the street. But I 
do enjoy it. I like the symbolism in it. I like, I like the, everyone knows it's coming and we're dealing with it properly. Like we're giving the respect it deserves sort of thing. I love, I love the punk wins the rumble and chooses to cash in on that. I love that. Yeah. It's a very, very, very good way of doing it. I'm doing it totally different. Just so you know, mine is way different. But I liked it a lot in that sense. I just think if we're big, I'm big on story. I love my story. And the story of The Undertaker knowing it's coming. You, how many Westerns do you watch? Do you know, do you know what actually I was thinking of? Are you a Game of Thrones guy? Did you watch Game of yes. Thrones? Right. See, I'm not a big Game of Thrones guy. So, so forgive me if I get this wrong. But there's a point where a kingdom is being marauded and they go up a tower and there's an old woman, Diana Rigg or someone, I think. Yeah, sitting, yeah, yeah. she sat there, Lady Tyrell. She knows what's yeah. coming. Yeah. And she's built this kingdom and she knows at some point the walls yeah. will come down and she's going, it's going to end. And she's just sat there drinking a couple of tears and she, she's as calm as anything with it. And what I want the story to be is that the Undertaker's kingdom that he has built for years, he knows at some point is going to come crashing down and he's just waiting for the one. And when he realises the one is there, which is CM Punk, I want him to accept it with grace. And I think the big issue that we had with the streak ending at 30 is no one believed uh, that Lesnar was going to win. No one believed it. So that's how I would do it. No, I like it a lot. Has it brought back sort of traumatic memories? Has it, has it influenced you at all for next week? No, because mine is different. I'm, as much as I've just said, um, I would have ended Undertaker at 28. I ain't ready in my book even to end him at 30. He's going a little bit further. Uh, but it will all make sense next week. I'm rolling the old man out for a few more goes. But I'm going to look after him. That's what WWE didn't do in his last few years. He didn't look after him. You've got this man. He's not what he can't do what he used to. Help him. Help this man. Make him look good. I'm going to try and make him look good so that by the time the streak does end, it's an even bigger deal. That's my plan next season. And and I'm not going to give it to someone who didn't need it, which Brock Lesnar didn't. Didn't he, though? No, because he's Brock Lesnar. But no, no, no. Now he's Brock Lesnar. Now he's Brock Lesnar. When he came back at 28, uh, the night after, and then he lost to Cena, and then he lost to Triple H... And then he lost no, a few more he was, times. He was still Brock Lesnar. He was still the man who's genuinely been to UFC and won the world title. He just It's not the man I would have chosen, as you'll see next week. Okay, uh, we'll get into it next week. We want yours as well, please. You know the ways to get in touch. Earning the Push podcast at hotmail.com, charlie underscore Beckett, jack underscore Murley. While you're emailing, don't forget to hit subscribe so you get new episodes delivered fresh to your device and tell a mate about what we do here. Do not go anywhere because when we're back after the break, something is earning the push and something is going back to developmental. Well, it has been a busy, 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 busy show today. We're so grateful so many of you are there for us with this. Uh, This is now the time where we take a break from professional wrestling, but apply the terminology of events in the squared circle to everyday life. Something we like is earning the push and something we hate is going back to developmental. Uh, Charlie, what for you is earning the push this week? What do you got? I'm going to give the push to a man who doesn't need it. We spoke about him off air beforehand, but Adam Peaty. The world is not talking enough about how good this man is. Now, I could have given it to any of our gold medalists this week, and there's been a few. Team GB, all the Olympics in general. I love the Olympics. Adam Peaty is the first man ever for Team GB to defend an Olympic swimming title, and that's great. That's really good. But the man hasn't lost a race in seven years, and all 
of the 16-1-6 fastest 100-metre um, breaststroke times in history belonged to Adam Peaty. So to put that in context, on his 16th best day ever, he's the fastest there has ever been in the history of the world. On my 16th best day ever, <laughs> I'm not sure I enter any conversation being good at anything. My 16th best performance ever on a rugby pitch is nothing to write home about. This man, we are witnessing genuine greatness on a scale we struggle to fathom here in sports. And because it's, if he was a footballer doing this, this sort of thing, the world would be going mad. But because he's a swimmer, a less popular sport, we maybe don't give it the attention it deserves. But this man, he is in the upper echelon of greatness of sport. In all sport, full stop. It's incredible what he's doing. Yeah, and uh, we could give it to any of our Olympians. And and you know what? The ones who've gone and it hasn't paid off for them because you're, you're the pro athlete. I can't imagine how unusual an environment it is to be competing with people who aren't there, uh, your friends and family, and to go with expectations on you and have it not quite pay off is, is incredibly painful. If, if we have a bad show this week, we can do a good show next week. If you have a bad day at the Olympics... You got to wait four years. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a similar topic for for something earning a push. I'm gonna give it to the friends and family of our Olympians yeah. and the coaches. And Adam Peaty, to his credit, said this gold medal isn't just for me. This is for everyone. And for every Olympian you see, you will have mums, dads, uncles, aunts, carers, guardians, teachers, whoever who are shipping them to the pool early, are standing by pitches in the rain, are washing the bibs, are paying the subs. You don't get there to the top of a podium without being on the shoulders of an awful lot of people who don't get the credit they deserve. I'm sure you'd agree, given given your career choice, we need to say you get a big push, all those people from us. Yeah, and you don't realise it when you're growing up, and I haven't even been that successful in mine, but the, the hours and so the time and the money and just everything my mum and dad and everyone put in. My sisters, little sisters had to spend hours on the side of pictures watching me because there was no one to look after them. Mum and dad were both coming, so they were coming. The hours in cars, the miles, yeah. The families, I remember, I think it was Purcell did an advert um, years ago because they do not know how many, to build an Olympian, how many plates you have to wash, I think was their thing. It really it really resonated because actually it showed how much time goes in behind the scenes. And it's not those kids buying that food, is it? It's their mums and dads. It's the guardians, the carers, like you say. So yeah, all the And then to not be able to be there, to put all that time and not be able to be there, just give them a big hug when they win or lose and be there for them must be heartbreaking. So yeah, huge, huge push for all of them, everyone behind the scenes. Okay. And I'm going to send back to developmental something really specific. It's when someone says something funny and instead of laughing, the other person says, that's really funny. But they don't <laughs> laugh. Have you ever come across people like this who you will say something and they don't laugh? They just say, oh, that's really funny. I've come across plenty of people who I say something and they don't laugh, Jack. That happens quite often. No, I can't say I've had to endure this, but I can see you clearly have. And it's really upsetting you. It's infuriating. You say something to someone and they'll go, oh, that's so funny. I'm like, laugh. That is the accepted social response to something being funny. Don't just say, I'm, oh. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to name names, but when did this last happen to you? Well, it happens more than you would think, which maybe means I'm not that funny and they're being <laughs> kind to me, okay? It's possible that's true. But in, in my dim and distant past, a long time ago, I used to work with someone who would never laugh, but would always just say to people, oh, that's really funny. 
and you'd watch something with them. You, you love the American office. That's sort of your go-to comedy. You could put them in front of the American office and they would spend the whole show not laughing, but just saying each thing. That's really funny. Oh, that's really funny. Oh, that bit was funny. Laugh if it's funny. Sorry, I've got a real bee under my bonnet about that. No. Oh, excuse me. Sorry, a massive sneeze there. That's Charlie Beckett sneezing in, sorry. in response. I've, I've been trying to not sneeze about five minutes there. I couldn't hold it there. Um, right. Vince well, my... would hate that, by the way. Vince yes. McMahon, you'd be out of the meeting. I'd be gone. My back to developmental is pre-season. Oh. Just pre-season training. Oh, my God, it's awful. And... You know it's going to be tough. This is my 10th professional preseason. Like, you think I wouldn't have an issue. It's just, it's just rubbish, mate. And, like, coaches make up new ways to make you run every year, I guarantee. So our, our session plan starts with a fitness block, then we go to rugby, and then you finish, like, a rugby, like, some sort of games. It's lots of running in plan. They're deciding that they just shoot more and more running. So last night, for example, yesterday, they're like, right, you're playing rugby. Great. Brilliant. That's what we love to do. If I double whistle, you've all got to do as a specific fitness drill or sprint to the halfway and do a Malcolm. I'm like, you're just shoehorning more running in here for no reason. Can I ask, what's, yes. a, Mal- what's a Malcolm? You start on the halfway line, yep. run 10 metres to the 10-metre line, you do a down-up, you sprint to the other 10-metre line, so 20 metres, down-up, and then you sprint back to the halfway. 40 metres of sprinting with two turns and two down-ups. And then back to the rugby once. And then straight back into the rugby. You'll be up at the far try line and you'll get a double whistle, sprint back to the halfway and then do that. And I'm like, well, this is just carnage now. Thank you. And I complain. It's good for me. We need it. It's great. I love it, really. But one of the joys of being a professional athlete is you get to moan about pre-season. I'm taking this platform to do it. No, I think you should. I think you should. And I'm learning about your training regime. We had, was it Broncos last Broncos week? Broncos last week. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They've all got fun names. All of them are hellish. What you should do is you should, and I don't know whether your coaches would be amenable to this, but you should just get them to rename them after wrestlers. Imagine Drop and give how... me 20 Trishes. Well, that would be a very, <laughs> very interesting afternoon of training. Okay. On that note, before we get too far down that particular avenue, we're going to wrap this one up. Uh, We keep saying it. Thank you. Each and every one of you who joins us every week gets involved in the show. Next week, part two of fantasy booking the end of the Undertaker's WrestleMania streak. Charlie Beckett will be fighting back the tears to do that. Uh, Earning the push podcast at hotmail.com. Charlie underscore Beckett, Jack underscore Murley. Very quickly, Charlie, when we talk about AEW Dynamite next week, what state is Chris Jericho going to be in after his match with Nick Gage? Not a good one. He's going to have won because he's clearly getting at least to the last... He's going to get through his labours of Jericho, isn't he? He's got to. We've got to have an MGF Jericho match again. He's kind of got to win. And that, that's the issue of being a heel, isn't it? There's always a glass ceiling being a heel because at some point you've got to lose. At some point, Roman has to lose. Do you know what I mean? But, oh, God, he's going to be in a world of pain. And you know what worries me most? This is only his second one. What have they got waiting for the next three? If Nick Gage is coming out at number two, what are the next three going to be? We shall see. We shall see. Right. Okay. Time for us to knock this one on the head. Thank you so much for listening. We are out of here, but join us next week for Earning the Push when we'll do it all again. <laughs>